Good morning, Mosaic. If everyone can remain standing, I'm going to read this morning's scripture. Again, it's great to see everyone here, see all your smiling faces. Again, if you can remain standing while I read, it's going to be Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God will transcend all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Father, Son, and Spirit, we come to you and ask you for your guidance in this moment. Thank you for your presence with us. God, we thank you for life and breath and all the things that you give us um, and your consistent love and faithfulness. We would long to be people who are close to you, that our, our life actually comes from a deep attachment and a connection to you. And so we ask you for that today. Would you shape us uh, with these verses that we're about to read and um, comfort, convict, give us what we need to uh, move towards you. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. We've been in a series that uh, we've called God Saves uh, this summer, and what we've been doing is looking uh, through uh, Scripture, primarily in the Old Testament, and looking at uh, stories where God shows up and saves in, in a number of different ways. And some of those have been uh, just uh, miraculous and um, maybe even well-known, uh, like uh, Moses and Joseph and uh, David and Goliath. And, and then some of them have been obscure, like Mephiboseth. That's exactly how you pronounce That's it. It's exactly, I have no idea. It's Mephiboseth. That's it. Yes, yeah. So some, some stories maybe you've heard of, maybe have been familiar, um, and maybe you thought, I, I thought I knew what that meant, and I, and I didn't. But, and then others have been a little more obscure. And, and throughout Scripture, and again, we've been primarily in the Old Testament, looking at these stories where God just shows up and, and saves. And today we want to do something uh, in line with that, but then a little bit different. Um, uh, Phil and I want to want to talk through um, and and celebrate a, a person who's who's not in Scripture. His name is, but he's not. Um, we we have a we share a mentor uh, who we're both deeply impacted by, and want to do something today that both honors him, but then points to how God saves not just him, but has worked in many other people's lives. And it's it's a testimony to the grace and goodness of God, of how God is intentional and purposeful through relationships. Um, and this man's name was Paul Rhodes. Um, many of you know him. Uh, he passed away four years ago, last Tuesday. And uh, after, after he passed away suddenly, um, he had a fall that, that took his life instantly. Uh, it was shocking and unexpected. Um, but uh, he has influenced this church in particular, other churches as well, but Mosaic uniquely in that he mentored the two pastors that planted Mosaic, 
Um, and he actually had been mentoring me long before Abby and I and our family moved to Portland to, to be a part of Mosaic. Um, and as Paul mentored many other people, um, but he was a part of planting Mosaic and helping lead Mosaic uh, for many years and uh, influenced so much of, of uh, who we are as a church. I like to say it that in, in kind of human terms, as, as I assess it, is I think Paul has actually influenced Mosaic more than any other single person. Um, and again, some of you know, knew Paul, um, others of you might not have no idea who he is. Um, uh, he's the one on, on this side of the picture. And uh, so uh, we deeply love Paul and miss him greatly. And so um, for the last, I guess this is now four, it was just unbelievable to, to, to articulate, but at this point in August for the last uh, four summers, we've just taken uh, a time in our gathering to to celebrate what God did through Paul, and we want to do that again today. And so acknowledging that God saved Paul, and Paul, as he surrendered his life uh, to Jesus, was used in, in really significant ways. Yeah, a, a way to say it would be God, God saved Paul, and then God, God saved me as a, as a result of getting to be in relationship with mm -hmm. Paul. You know, yeah. he, he exemplified some things. Um, before I get into how God used uh, Paul to impact my life, I'd just like to look at a key scripture for myself uh, that then became something different once I was in relationship with a man like Paul. And it's Psalm 139. I'm just going to read a few verses here that we'll come back to later on. Uh, Psalm 139 says this, You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, this is verse 11, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. Uh, the dark will sh shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. In 17, he says, how precious are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. And then even still later in 23 and 24, David asks God, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Uh, these verses, you might be able to tell, I, I memorized this as a five-year-old. I had a Sunday school teacher that deposited this via making me, and I mean that. I wasn't too keen on it, memorizing this for, for candy, um, if you've heard of it. Good motivation at the time. Um, but little did I know, these verses have become a light and a guide for me over my lifetime um, and are key to describing the work God's done in me. Um, as I've been in healthy relationships with followers of him, in particularly with Paul. So when I met Paul, I was, um, was 12 years ago. I was 12 years old. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm 38. 
unfortunately. I was a 26-year-old man, uh, five years into marriage. I was a college dropout, and I was just beginning to realize that I had trauma, hurts, and hang-ups that would, uh, if kind of left untended, eventually cost me everything, um, including probably my life. I, I went through bouts of uh, suicide uh, thoughts. Um, but I wanted to let Jesus renew my heart and mind. Part of the thing that God used to get my attention was that there were leaders ahead of me um, that were being destroyed by untended parts of their heart. Um, there were addictions, there were affairs, there were um, all sorts of things that were kind of chewing other men of God that I knew up uh, as they kind of ignored their inner world. Um, and I knew that my trajectory was not any different than theirs. If not, it was a little bit further, uh, more accelerated than some of them that I knew. So I only had a sense of this need um, and at most kind of a willingness to risk vulnerability if I could find somebody safe to uh, confide in and uh, give my life to. Um, the reason for this just had to do with my family. My, my family had... Uh, massive trauma. Um, I had a brother who, in a car accident, lost the use of his legs and so uh, needed the use of a wheelchair. That was before I was born. By that time, um, my father was having some significant heart issues due to stress because of money issues. I got cancer as a two-year-old, had that for four years. Uh, Dad eventually had quadruple bypass. There were just thing upon thing that um, took a lot of time and capacity. Um, and by the time that I was sitting down with Paul, we, we sat down in 2011 on a fall day outside a lucky lab, um, up in North Portland. I, I was saving myself from these things with alcohol, um, using pornography, smoking cigarettes. And I often have told people if there was a way to be a compulsive, I was going to do it. Um, whether it was pizza or uh, thankfully, never any hard drugs or anything, but um, I just was trying to numb myself uh, of this pain that I wasn't even aware of. Um, and what I hadn't realized yet was that because of my family circumstances, there wasn't enough attention, care, or capacity to allow for healthy connection to my folks. They did the best they could, and they deeply loved me, uh, but they were super overloaded. And I was left in the care of friends and school families that led to abuse later on and sense of abandonment. Um, and just opportunity for that to happen uh, left me with dealing with things that are hard for a child. Not only was the, my own death a thing with cancer, but it was um, my family doesn't have enough to give me. Um, and so I, I didn't have healthy attachment. Um, Attachment is a word that I am only expert in because I am, uh, for the last five years, has been a professional counselee. <laughs> I'm not a counselor. So uh, all of this is kind of stuff that I've read about. Um, I'm no expert. But if you haven't heard of attachment theory, um, the definition of healthy attachment uh, for our world, uh, you can throw it up there. Uh-oh. It's yelling at you. Um, the definition, like secularly, and I don't want to set this up as like a 
the world is wrong about this. It's more that the world has an idea of what attachment is, and then there's a biblical definition that's maybe a fuller picture. Um, the, the worldly definition is that there's a child who is comfortable, safe, and cared for. Um, they are able to get what they need from the people that are taking care of them. Um, our world knows this. In, in the Bible, we actually see this personified in God through this word, uh, hesed. And this is the idea, if you were able to kind of wrap up love, generosity, enduring commitment, or um, kind of loyalty or faithfulness into one word and boil it down as a package, that's what hesed means. Um, God represents kind of the full perfection of this. Uh, in scripture, he's seen being faithful to every covenant he made. There were five key ones in the Old Testament that um, humanity may be held up their end of the bargain on one. Um, God was faithful to every single one of them, even though we were not. Um, and so it's just a significant part of who God is. It occurs uh, 250 plus times in the Old Testament, and nearly every psalm uses hesed in some way. Um, it's a pretty interesting word. Uh, there's not really a New Testament um, similar word. Um, maybe the closest is agape love. Um, but I just want to read a couple of scriptures. Lamentations um, in the Old Testament says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, or because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, uh, for his compassions never fail. Yeah, I leave it there. Uh, they are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. So there we're seeing God is faithful to his love towards people. Um, in the New Testament, Paul, Paul wrote First Thessalonians, right? Mm -hmm. Great. Good job. We know that for a fact. Um, he says this, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other, for everyone else, just as ours does for you. And he actually uses that word um, to describe what our love is supposed to be like for one another. Um, attachment is important because it asks this question, uh, if you throw this up, Jeremy, is the one who I'm dependent on willing to and able to ensure my safety? In my family, the answer was no. Even though that was not their intention, they love me and we're, we're on good terms now, um, they know they didn't have enough to ensure my safety and my, and my good. Um, and I think each of us is, is sitting with that question. So with that, with that question and, and just this, this term, and again, some of you probably are familiar with it and others of you are, are maybe hearing some of this for the first time. Um, First, I just want to say, Phil, thanks for, thanks for sharing your story. Mm -hmm. um, it's one thing to, to know you and to know you're going to say all that, and then realizing sitting here and having you share that is, is, a, is, uh, is a gift for us. And, um, and I don't think you've said anything that you've never said before, but just realizing as you share in the way you just did that that's, um, yeah, just there's a, like a sacredness to that. Mm -hmm. And so thank you. Thank yeah, you for sharing that. Yeah. For you, for sharing you. Um, but as you do and as you talk about what, because of the realities of, of your family, there were certain things that, that you didn't experience or receive. Mm -hmm. And the, the truth is, is for each and every one of us, we can identify with something in there. Um, and, and maybe you're sitting here and you're like, wow, I just am so fortunate. Like I had perfect parents. 
And um, I didn't have any of that, and I am a full and complete human being, and um, I, would, I would love just to, to meet you. And so <laughs> if you wouldn't mind afterwards just finding me. Um, and I think it's important for you to know that I actually thought that mostly. Like I was probably like 85, 90% there um, until I got married. Mm. And then my gracious, wise wife said, you do know your family wasn't perfect. How dare you? Like, um, and then it's been a journey since then for 25 plus years now going, oh, okay, this is the wonderful thing about who my parents and my family is. And here's the way that they were not perfect and that we're lacking. And um, so we all have some things that were missed in that. And that is uh, helpful and healthy for us to, to identify and to process through and, and to understand. Uh, and when we don't identify those, we might actually miss part of the character of God and how God wants to meet us. And so as we talk about a term that's, it's really, it's a, it's a psychological term, attachment, it is also a biblical reality. And so as, as, as Phil said, like when we say like the secular definition, um, our world touches and defines and reaches for and finds things that are ultimately true um, and just might not have the connection to God and the, and the truth that is in scripture. Um, and so that's part of what we're doing here is putting those putting those together. But as we ask this question, or as attachment asks this question, um, exactly that, is the one who I'm dependent on willing and able to ensure my safety and, and well-being. Um, what we want to do is just quickly um, kind of hop through three uh, kind of styles that when, when we don't have, when we're lacking in healthy attachment, secure attachment in some way, three styles that, that we develop in how we relate to God. And the reason for that is whatever we take from our family system, our growing up, um, our early formation, that we will, we can't help but relating to God in that way. Okay, and this is why one of the reasons when we come up on uh, things that our, our culture just does in its rhythm, like a Father's Day, um, it's helpful for us as people of God, as followers of Jesus, to acknowledge like, hey, Father's Day might not be a wonderful, easy day to celebrate because your biological, earthly human father was so lacking in some ways, or there's pain there, or, or disappointment or something. Same actually with, with Mother's Day, is this parental love and security that is intended to be provided is sometimes lacking. And so um, when we, we talk about these things, it, it's our, our way of relating to the, the family, those who first cared for us, we can't help but translate to, to how we view and relate to God. So uh, quickly here, we're gonna hit shutdown style, um, anxious style, and shame-based style. So first one is shutdown style, and it's not that you shut down as a human being and you're like catatonic, it's in relation to emotion. So shutdown style is referencing uh, emotion. And so it's the idea that emotions uh, are unsafe or, or not good. And um, I have no idea on the percentage here, uh, but if we were to look at a room like this and just to consider like how many of us uh, are comfortable with, with emotion and how many of us are uncomfortable emotion, it's at least gonna be a 50-50 split probably. That's scientific. There you go. Write that down. <laughs> shut, shut down like that we're uncomfortable. So here's a, here's a helpful quote. Presumption that fear, sadness, pain, and doubt are incompatible with a life of faith. So um, the idea that when I feel something that doesn't feel good, I automatically have distance from God. That is a self or a human idea that does not 
come from God. God actually doesn't think that. God doesn't operate that way. We do. So I'm feeling doubt. I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling anxious. I'm not ready to relate to God. And in fact, just because I'm identifying that I'm feeling those things, I, I'm further from God. So what happens is that we, we either deny our emotions or we allow ourselves to stay distant from God. When we deny our emotions, we've got to go somewhere. So it's really easy to go to logic and reason. And if I can function there and deny emotions or step away from them or pretend they don't exist or minimize them, then I'm okay with God because I'm functioning in, in logic and reason. Now, God created us with those capacities. Those are God-given but that's actually not where life and relationship exist. That's where logic and reason exist. We're meant to connect with God in an intimate way and with others in an intimate way, and that is not just with logic and reason. And logic and reason actually get us there, and they help us. So if that's where you function primarily, you know that I keep hitting a wall in relationship, and it's because you're functioning only on that side, and you haven't delved into what does it mean to really connect and, and know the fullness of who God's created me to be. And I can only say that because this is the one of the three that is most easy for me to identify with. And my family system, early on what was rewarded was achievement, skill, competency, um, productivity, efficiency, those kinds of things. Mm. Um, and again, I have great affection and love and respect for my parents. I'm so grateful for them. But that was one, one way that their family system affected them, who they were and how they operated. And so for me, it took me actually getting well into marriage and having a patient, gracious partner to say, hey, there's something undeveloped about us because there's something undeveloped about you. She took years to say that, but that's eventually <laughs> what we got to. And so I had to, had to realize like, okay, you know, going back to Paul, that was one of the helps with me. But mm. shutdown is that the, so again, the, um, it's marked by the message that emotions are not okay. And so we shut down that part of who we are, which is part of who God's created us to be. So that's the first one, shut down. No doubt. When I drive, one of my favorite activities is to shadow box. Anybody know what that means? I'm just, I'm just sort of kidding. That didn't get the laugh that I'd hoped it would. <laughs> ah, nice. No, shadow boxing is this idea of like, I take, say, say Tim and I are in a relationship, I can easily take assumptions of who he is and how he's going to react to me into my mind and create a version of him that does not actually exist and actually miss interacting in the real world. These are the things that we do um, with God in that way. So another one, the next one is just an anxious style of re, uh, relating to God. And this is um, the idea that if we stop pursuing to just enjoy or rest in God, we will lose connection. Um, we believe that the connection with God and our relationship is entirely up to us. Uh, we may have grown up believing uh, that our cry for help or isolation or the, the thing that was causing us pain, if we told somebody, we wouldn't be heard. Um, so we fight to seek connection. And this is a, a mode of operation that isn't a loving embrace. It's long, hard work, and it's never enough. Um, I've had periods in my life that are like this where I, I will wake up one day and say, I'm going to read the Bible every day for the next, you know, for the rest of my life. And I commit to God, and I, I gussy up, and think that's going to impress him in some way. Well, the reality is, and he knows this, I'm not going to do that. Um, and thank goodness my, my connection to him and his affection for me is not how much I read scripture, 
or how much I pray. It's actually how much I'm aware of how much I need from him and how willing I am to actually just come without fighting for it. Um, yeah, I already read this, but, but listen to this again. It's not a loving embrace. It's hard, long work that burns us out over time, and it's never enough. So if you think the first one has to do with feelings and thinking. The second one is, is kind of focused on what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, the third one is the shame-based, uh, and it's, it's not just what you do. It's, it's who you are. And again, we, we probably are all somewhat familiar with, with shame, but it's that, it's that deep. It touches into our identity, not just the things that we do or, our, or even our resume, but who, who we view ourselves to be, who we believe we are. And it's at that level that we're not enough. And so I have a deep sense that I'm not enough on my own. And so I have to create or become somebody else and put my energy into that because there's no way that the God of the universe would actually love me of who I am. Total lie, right? That's, a, that's an absolute lie. Scripture tells us that the exact opposite, that because and it's what Phil read earlier from Psalm 139 is that God knows us so well and knows who he created us to be um, and that he values and loves us. And, and yet we have this message, this twisted, untrue lie that is going on inside of us that we're, we're not enough to be real in relationship with God. Um, I like this way of saying is we use this to whip ourselves and prod along to become another person or a, another person, a different person. Um, God withholds himself from us until we, we get it right. And so we, we keep trying to retread and, and retry to be somebody else um, because we're not enough. And so we're always distant from God and trying to put on some kind of a mask or a presentation of who we, we think God will accept or like. And so we always remain hidden and kind of off, off the table. Yeah. Paul used to say to me um, that, that guilt is a right sense that I've done something wrong, that some action that I've done is sinful or... or uh, I need to not do it again. Shame is where I start to believe that I am wrong and that I am uh, irrevocably broken. And if that's true, there's no safe way to, to find relationship. Um, it actually kind of flies into the face of the gospel that we see in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. You'll see this here. Um, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Obviously, we are meant to live progressively holier lives as we view Jesus and see who he is, but um, we are not unfixable. Um, The shame-based style of relating to God really tempts us to believe um, that there is separation from God and that we are separated because of who we are at a a deep core place. Um, And that kind of leads us to what is healthy attachment then? Um, The the verse that came to mind immediately for me was, uh, and you'll see it here, that Paul was convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, demons, the present, the future, nor any powers, height or depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing that can separate us um, if that's really true and God loves us on that type of level, we're finding said We're attached to God, um, and it's by the nature of who he is, not based upon our merit. That's the good news. 
and again, those are that's a quick flyover of some pretty um, just significant and deep deep stuff. A shutdown style, a um, anxious style, a shame based style, um, and. And the chances are is you probably more identify with one than the others, but there's things in all three of them that you can kind of go, oh yeah, I've, I've bumped into that, or I struggle with that, or that's a, that's a lie that creeps in. Um, and so to, to point back to, to healthy attachment of this reality that the God that we read about, the God that we worship, the God that we're in relationship with um, doesn't ever go. There's nothing that can actually separate us, us from him. And, and while we feel very differently than that at times, that that actually is, is the reality and, and that's the truth. And so as we, as we, as we kind of pick somebody who is very meaningful to, to Phil and I in particular, to our church as a whole, um, as we think about Paul's life and what, what God did in Paul's life, how was it for you, Phil, that, 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 that God used Paul to impact you and, and have such a, a, really a transformative yeah. role in your life? So that's where this, this Psalm 139 comes back in. Um, this passage, uh, again and again, God's used in my life. Um, in sitting with Paul and seeing his, um, when you were with Paul, you could sense his connection to Jesus. Uh, Paul was somebody who, the moment that he thought about God's love for him, he was in tears. Um, and it wasn't like an ability. It was just, that was that impactful. He had gone through transformation of his own um, gone through his own issues, and on the other side of that, he was able to turn around and look and see, God's committed to me in relationship, loves me so much. I now have a picture of what that's like for other people, and so when you sat with Paul, he would look at you, um, and it, obviously I knew in my head, this isn't Jesus, but I could get a sense of what it would be like to sit with Jesus and have him look at me with that type of uh, love. Psalm 139 is the same thing. David's noting, God, you search me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I arise. There's nothing that's hidden from you. Um, well, if that's true, he knows the gunk in my life, right? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. Well, God knows all my gunk, but I also can't get away from him. He's, he's with me wherever I am and whatever I do. Um, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully. God knew me before I even knew I was a self, right? He, he knew me from way back. Um, and then this last prayer, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Um, Paul, as a person, was an invitation to openness with God, um, there wasn't a thing that I would say to Paul that would make him puke or run away. Um, there was always love. And so uh, in the times, what comes to mind immediately is like, you know, even if I'd struggled with pornography that morning and had a meeting with him two hours later, I was able to have that happen and go to him and say, Paul, this happened this morning. And that didn't change how Paul saw me. That didn't change how he... Uh, was able to speak into my life. And it didn't change, actually, his belief in God's love for me. Um, and so to sit with that is just a really impactful thing. Um, and for me, because I hadn't had that before, that type of security, it was practicing some of those things that um, should have happened way earlier on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but now I had a second chance at yeah. Well, And the gift that God was giving you in a person like that so that yes. you could experience things that you had missed. Yes. And, um, 
Paul would be the first to be really uncomfortable if we were talking about him in this way. Um, <laughs> and he would be the first to point out all the ways that he, he needed to grow and all of his flaws and all of that. So if you have no idea who this is that we're talking about, um, just know that about him as well, is that it's just very humble and, and fully sought to be who he was in, in whatever context or, or conversation that he was in. Um, the... Um, Jen earlier read a, a passage from Philippians that was one that Paul went, went to regularly. It was in chapter 4, and it's verses 4 through 9. Um, and it's actually a well-known verse. It says, rejoice in the Lord always, and um, we, you know, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything give thanks. And, and he would point to that regularly, and it was, in my, in my relationship with him, um, was, a, was a key verse. That, this, that section ends with uh, Philippians 4, verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Um, and I, I had a friend and a mentor in Paul um, who, uh, he didn't necessarily point to this verse, but it was part of our relationship where I had somebody that I could look to and go, I'm gonna watch you really closely and then seek to put these things into practice. And not only in the day to day, but knowing his story and so in his, I think it was in his 30s that he first started seeing a counselor um, and shared openly that journey of what it was like to, to get in touch with his own emotions. And one of the things that Paul was teased for is, is like Phil said earlier, crying kind of at, at, at the first mention of, of, I can't tell you how many conversations I was in with Paul where I'm sharing what's going on in my life and he just starts crying. And I'm like, what is going on? And he would say these profound things like, well, I just see the Holy Spirit working in this and, and this. And I, I, it was things that I completely missed and didn't see. And I needed that reflection from somebody else to go, no, I see God working in, in your life. And so I took that and went, I realized the impact on me and I want to I wanted be that and do that with others and for others. But it was a, the, the humble life that was led dependent on Jesus, honest about his flaws, um, and yet bold enough because of his confidence in Christ to say, I'm going to speak this in, into your life. And so the ongoing transformation that I saw in him, um, he, he passed away, I think, right before he turned 66. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he was learning and growing um, till the day that he died uh, and taking risks and learning who he was and understanding himself better. Um, and I, I, I want to emulate that. I want to be that kind of a, a man and follower of Jesus because I saw the fruit in his life and the, and the significance uh, in his life. Phil, as you were sharing about him, um, I hope that, that we all collectively get the picture of how God works in our life through other people. Mm. And the, the, the gift that, that Paul was to me and to you and to so many others that, um, that we actually experience, and this is just an amazing way that the Holy Spirit works, but we experience more of who God is in relationship with others. And we actually can't experience some of that outside of relationship. And so what, what God has, has done is he's put us in friendship. He's put us in relationship. He's put us in the church and get this in order that we might actually experience more of who God is. Mm-hmm. Our minds typically, because we're born and bred in a fairly cynical culture, immediately go to what's broken and wrong. And, and there's so much truth and reality in that. We don't need to minimize that or discount that. But the design for, for relationship, the design for family and community and for the church 
is that we would actually, and, and this sounds so weird, we would actually grow in and able to, to emulate more of who God is, his grace, mm-hmm. his truth, his forgiveness. We can understand that, we can experience that with God to some degree, and it's, it's real and formative. But when we do it in relationship, when we experience that in relationship, there's this, this other part of us that comes alive and grows. And so I just had this picture as you were talking that Paul is sitting on a couch across from you, mm-hmm. and you're able to confess something and he doesn't, his facial expression doesn't judge you. He doesn't heap guilt or shame on you because of his words. He doesn't get up and leave. And just that human experience of going, okay, there's a person who's not going to, and for some of us, we've never had that before. Mm-hmm. And when we do experience that, and when it's, when it's based on who Jesus is and what he's done, that, that actually has a transformative impact on our lives. Mm-hmm. And and that's who we're called to be. That's who we want to be. That's who we dream of being. And so as, as we think forward uh, as Mosaic, there's a, a couple of ways that we do see this happening and want to see it happening more in the life of our church. And one is, one is communities. We've got, I think, five communities right now. Uh, and for those of you that are in that, you might get a little taste of this. But even as we tell this story, talk about it today, you say, no, no, I want, I, I want more of that. Uh, I want to experience that as a, at a deeper level. It's one of the reasons we're praying today is to, is to go, how can we experience this more and, and more people experience it? And so communities is, is one key way. Um, another key way that we've seen it happen over this last year or so is through something called triads. Yeah, triads. I, I meet with uh, two other men monthly. Uh, and the idea would be that we come and we bear witness to God's transforming work in each other. It's not about advice. It's more about say Tim and Tim and I and another person were in a triad, Tim would share kind of the landscape of his life and what, what life looked like right now. And prayerfully, um, we would take notice of what God is doing um, and even ask questions so that Tim realizes God's with me. He's trying to grow me in something. These, are just not, these aren't just innocuous, coincidental moments of my life, but God's actually leading me and actively a part of my life. Um, and I know the impact of that in me has been uh, huge, both in, in being known and seen uh, and also getting to know other people. It grows my faith to see other people be led to. If you hear either one of those and you're like, I, I, want, I want in, I want to be a part of that, um, for triads, we're going to do a, uh, an opportunity to learn more. Kind of, there's a little bit of a, a training experience that's helpful in that later in September, mm-hmm. uh, and then after after Labor Day on into September, we're, um, we'll have opportunities to, for communities as well um, as as new one forms. But, um, one of the things I'm also really excited about is in about four weeks from today, on September 10th, uh, we're going to pivot. We've been in the Book of Luke for almost two years, mm-hmm. um, and we're going to uh, finish and pivot into the Book of Acts, which is the story of how God sent his Holy Spirit to form a people and to work through a people. And we are that people. We're an extension of that some 2,000 years later. And so really excited to teach through the book of Acts uh, and how God is going to continue to stretch us and grow us through that. And this is gonna be a key part of it is how does he transform people through him working in other people? And none of it actually is even possible without the person and work of Jesus who came and lived, died, was buried, conquered death, and, and rose again. And so we want to continue to be pointing back to Jesus and his work. And so um, we're gonna, I'm going to pray for us. And uh, if, if any of this is, um, this could be, in a, in a sense, uh, 
want to be careful of this word, but um, overwhelming in the sense that that's a lot of stuff and a lot of, um, oh, here, some of you in this room are thinking right now, that's a lot of emotional stuff. And I just want to say, um, I feel you. Get it? Um, it? That is part of our life of who God has created us to be, and it is mysterious and scary, and it, it feels almost, for some of us, untapped, and we don't know what to do with it. I, I want you to know that, that God actually wants to not only heal, but grow that part of you, and, and not just so that you can, you can grow, but so that you can be in the lives of others and have this ripple effect of, of his good work going forward. Um, and so as we talk about it, things like attachment and relationship and some of that, if, if you're in the place right now in your life where you're like, yeah, um, I don't, I don't, I'm not ready to go there, I'm just gonna pray that, that God would give you both the, the soft heart to go there and the courage to step into that. Um, on the other hand, some of you are like, man, I've, God's been doing deep work in my life in, in this kind of issues already. And uh, would that just continue? Um, and hopefully there is a beautiful mix within a community such as this where both can help one another and we can mutually benefit. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes with me and I want to pray. Um, and then we're going to continue to sing and come to this table. Um, and the, the juice, again, represents Christ's blood shed for us. And the little crackers represent his body broken for us. And we call ourselves to this table every time we gather to be reminded of the good news, the gospel, that without Jesus, we're lost. And we actually don't experience the kind of faithful, loving presence that God offers us. So would you pray with me? And then we'll continue to sing and, and come forward as you're ready. God, thank you for putting people in our life that give us a bigger and truer and fuller experience of who you are. Each and every one of us has a person or multiple people, and we just want to thank you for them. And God, today, as, as Phil and I thank you for Paul, um, we say again that we just deeply miss him. We're so grateful for who he was, uh, who you made him to be, all of the things that he modeled so well. And we ask that you would make us into people who share our lives with one another, and that we would not just benefit from relationship and presence on a human level, but that you would give us a glimpse to this, this experience of you in the here and now, that you see us, that you know us of all of those things that David wrote in, one song, in Psalm 131.9, that you see us.